tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. got the neatest readings in the Bible today, I think, and uh, I will explain why, not just because it mentions a terebinth, but uh, let's pray. I don't think it mentions kingdom. The voice in my head just said, did it mention kingdom? No, no, it, it doesn't, but the gospel does, so we're okay. All right, very good. Uh, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God cast into hell, Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's go to the big book on the coffee table. You know the one I'm talking about, the Bible. This is the sixth chapter of the book of Judges, the 11th verse and following. The Lord, the angel of the Lord came to and sat under the terebinth in Oprah. Well, as I promised, I'll tell you what a terebinth is. It's Ophrah. It's Ophrah. Yeah, Ophrah. It's just a name. Oprah is a... Never mind. Let's oh. move along. Uh, the, the terebinth is a tree. <laughs> there. Now, oh, I suppose you want more than that. The terebinth is a deciduous flowering plant belonging to the cashew family. It's a small tree or a large shrub. It can go, th- go 33 feet tall. And it it's... Uh, uh, also called the turpentine tree because you can get turpentine from it in certain species you can get things that are that are edible but the neat thing about it if you see a picture of a terebinth it looks like this uh, it's it's just small and round and just enough room under it for a man to sit down and sit well in the shade so that's a terebinth but interestingly the terebinth seems to be mentioned frequently in the bible uh, let's see here. Where it's it's uh, uh, it's it's mentioned in the Hebrew scriptures. Um, and the word it's interesting. The word is Ella, which is related to the word El. Apparently, uh, um, the the uh, it, it's sometimes translated as an oak, but it's not an oak. Uh, so uh, <laughs> the translators are unclear about it. What I'm reading says, but it's found in three successive chapters of Genesis. Genesis. It refers to the places where Abraham camped. And uh, uh, the the traditional rendering is the oak of Mamre, but it really is the terebinth of Mamre. He camped under these trees because they were good shade. 
Uh, and it's in Genesis chapter 35, and it's found in Isaiah. And here we are in the book of Judges, seeing a terebinth also. So I don't think we need to belabor the terebinth tree anymore. Now you know it's just a low, very shady tree that you can camp under. All right, moving along. Let's go back to the reading. Uh, this is, of course, the feast of the queenship of our Blessed Mother, but I'm doing the readings to continue our story. And uh, I wanted to mention something. Oh, I? Yes, I will mention it now. Um, that uh, Well, no, I'll make it the word of the day. I'll make it the word of the day. It's about the queenship of Mary. Uh, the word Gavira, the voice of my head just asked what Gavira. I bet all of you know because you probably all read Dr. Han. And it's an idea I'm stealing from him. But let's get back to this reading. Well, he goes to this terebinth that belonged to Joash the Abiezerite from the clan of Abiezer, where his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to save it from the Midianites. Now, the Midianites were a, a marauding, I think they were a desert people from south and east of there, but I should probably look that up to make sure. But he's beating out the wheat in the wine press. Why is he doing that? A wine press is a little bit like a swimming pool. It's a big stone thing with walls on the side, and uh, that's where you put the grapes and stomp on them, and, and eventually the the wine uh, <laughs> that you've been stomping on with your bare feet flows into a channel, and the the, the grape juice can be can be bottled. But uh, the these Midianites. Um, were a nomadic people who came from Arabia, and they, they were just terrorizing the land. And Gideon is in the wine press beating out, you know, trying to thresh wheat so he can make himself some lunch. And then the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, The Lord is with you, O champion. I, Gideon said to him, My Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Now, clearly, he's not realizing this is a an angel. Uh, that that this angel, it's interesting, in apparitions of angels, they always seem to be just a normal person at first. And then if God wants to reveal that, no, this is just not a normal type person, this is a, 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 a celestial visitor, then... Uh, they recognize you see this repeatedly in 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 the text but th this this uh oh champion that that's a great word and it doesn't refer to the lovely town in wisconsin uh i think it literally is with us uh, uh the word is gebauer which means a mighty man it means uh, uh it means oh strong one gideon is in a wine press he's terrified he's not a champion he's not a strong one He's just, he's, he's terrified. And, and, uh, and he's also something of an atheist. My Lord, in other words, Adon, which is the, you know, the, the polite greeting for someone, still is in modern Hebrew. Uh, the word for mister is Adon, and, uh, the Lord, however, is Adonai, super mister. Um, I remember a friend of mine who was, uh, raised, he was a third generation pagan, I think, uh, and, and, uh, he spoke Spanish, and he came to a mass, and, uh, Spanish mass. His Spanish was pretty good. And uh, he said it was very nice, but why do you keep calling him Mr. Jesus? Señor Jesús. Señor means Lord. It also means Mr. So it is with the word Adon. Adonai exclusively refers to the Lord, but Adon is the standard Hebrew word for sir. So Adon, if 
If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And of course, the word that referred to God would have been YHWH in the text. We are, where are his wondrous deeds of which our fathers told us when they said, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Then the Lord's abandoned us. Uh, then the Lord turned to him. And in other words, in these visions of angels, it's ambiguous whether this is God or an angel. And the answer is, of course, yes, that God is speaking his word through the agency of a messenger, which is what the word angel means in both Greek and in Hebrew, melach in, in, uh, in Hebrew. So it's I who send you, but Gideon answered, how can I save Israel? Um, my family is the lowliest in Manasseh. I'm the most insignificant. I'll be with you. Um, Gideon said, well, okay, I need a sign. Uh, so, uh, that this is really God and, and not because I'm, I'm not so sure. He, Gideon went off and prepared uh, a meal um, and he brought the meat and the broth out and, and the bread that he'd gotten and uh, put them out under the terebinth and presented them. The angel of God said, take the meat, the unleavened cakes, lay them out on this rock, then pour out the broth. So this nice and wet. The angel did this and then he touched the tip of the staff that he held and it all went up in flame, and he went up in the flames with it. So, <laughs> alas, Lord God, I have seen the messenger, the angel of the Lord, face to face. The Lord answered him, Be calm, do not fear, you shall not die. So, that's how Gideon, but the th this thing, Gideon is this mighty man of God hiding out from the Midianites. <laughs> you see, we had some questions yesterday about how could God, uh, you know, wasn't Moses a sinner who used vigilante justice, that sort of thing. Uh, and I'm not sure I understood the question, but I, that's what I got from it. But um, <clears throat> God picks the most unlikely people. And I think that that's an important biblical principle. Um, it says in the scriptures elsewhere, I will share the glory with no one. You know, that, that, uh, that's, that's, uh, a line that we we don't we don't uh, seem to understand. Let me find that. I will share the glory uh, with no one. Okay, it is Isaiah forty two eight. I am the Lord. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. You know, he will yield the glory to no one. And you know that that that. Gideon was not a guy that you would have worshipped. Moses was not a guy you would have worshipped. David was not a guy you would have worshipped. Uh, Saul wanted to pretend he was a guy you might have worshipped. He wanted to be the high priest of Israel as well as the king of Israel. And that's why he, he was not a man after God's own heart, at least in part. So this, this is a biblical principle that God uses some very unlikely people like you and me. But don't, you know, I remember... My favorite theologian, I always mention the Reverend Billy Bob, who, who said, you want to know how much God's going to miss you in a ministry? Uh, if you leave it, put your hand in a bucket of water, pull it out real fast, and that hole <laughs> that's left is how much you're going to be missed. In other words, God can do it with us or without us. It's our great privilege to serve the Lord. But a lot of times you'll find people thinking, uh, believing their own hype. Or believing, you know, always find have people around you, especially if you're in ministry, who can tell you that you're not all that, nor a side of fries. Moving along, let's go to the gospel. Matthew 19, verse 23 to 30. Jesus said, Amen, Amen. <laughs> Here we go. It will be hard for one who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
In other words, if you're rich, you can't go to heaven. That's not what the text is saying at all. Okay, uh, let's to enter. We talk about entering an inheritance, to coming into an inheritance. We do that in English. And in Greek, it's the same deal, that, that I'm always telling you the kingdom of heaven, when you see that in the scriptures, or kingdom of God, you can always translate it, I think, as the royal nature of God. Basilea means royalness, the royalness of God, what God is really like. He's not like the kings of the earth. He's royal in a very special and beautiful way. And he defines royalty. Uh, so this is crazy. I mean, clearly, if someone was rich, that was a sign of God's favor. And that God, you know, kings are rich. And their children are rich and frequently mindless. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. The inheritance of God is not being rich. Think about it. Amen, amen, I say to you. It will be hard for one who is rich to enter into the inheritance of God's nature. Try it that way. And that's true because they already think they're God. You know, what does money do? Money is power. Money is, 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 is a way to, to, to get what you want and do what you want, you know? And, and, uh, um, we think of it as power. And you only come to God when you realize your own powerlessness. That you can't, you can't change this. All the money you have won't buy what you want. You know, uh, um, uh, what did Queen Elizabeth say as she stood? She stood uh, as she was finally dying. She knew that if she got down, she would never get up again. And she, I think she said, "All that I have for one more moment of time." That's that's scary. So you can't buy it. Well, he goes on to say, and this, I think, is kind of, again, a mini parable, and I think it's a joke. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for one who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. I have heard the most ridiculous sermons about, well, there was a gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle, and when a camel came laden and the gates were closed... They, you could still get in Jerusalem through this eye of the needle, but you had to take everything off the camel. And the camel would sort of shimmy on its knees through the door. I've never seen, I've only seen a few camels in my life. They're difficult animals and they bite. I've never seen one shimmy on his knees. Uh, the, the camel driver can get them down on their knees so you can get on, and sometimes they don't cooperate. But to kind of crawl on all fours on your knee, I don't think so. I've never seen it. Maybe a great camel driver can do it. But at any rate, uh, Jesus is probably not talking about a little, little camel. But these people who, who want to believe about this eye of the needle, there was a gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle. It was in the post-Christian or the post-Jewish city when it was a Christian city, and it was named for the parable. At the time of Christ, we have no evidence that there was a gate called the eye of the needle in Jerusalem. That was from centuries later, and it was named for this parable itself. Well, what's what's going on here? It is quite probable that the word is camelon, which means it is the it is the Arabic word for a ship's hawser. Apparently, camel hair makes a very good strong rope, and you would make this big thick rope out of camel's hair, and it was called a camel, a camel rope, just a camel. And this is funny. Can you see someone? trying to put a rope through a needle, you know, wait on, I got this. You can see they're, they're crossing one eye 
and uh, closing one eye and, and, uh, the tongue is sticking out to the side as so often happens when people are trying to, uh, um, do something difficult that needs precision. So that's what's going on. I really think that that's makes more sense that it is easier for a rich man, for a person to put, um, uh, <clears throat> a rope through a needle than for a rich man to enter into God's royal inheritance. It isn't so much, I think, about going to heaven as much as entering into the gospel, entering into the simplicity of, I have met people who, who can do it. You know, they, they don't take their, their wealth terribly, uh, terribly seriously, and they realize it isn't theirs. Um, that the, 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 um, all that they have was given them by God. I, I shared with you the other day about uh, can can a Christian have possessions? Oh yes, no problem. It's unfortunate though when the possessions own the Christian. So that's what's going on here. That that you have to have the perspective on on the use of your property. Well, um, the the uh, um, the Lord goes on. Peter says, "Well, we've given up everything," and. Uh, 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 you know, he's saying from Peter says, how, then who can go to heaven? We've thought all our lives that, that, uh, or, or who can be saved? Uh, we've thought all our lives that wealth was a sign of God's favor. And now you're telling us it isn't what hope is there. And we've given up everything to follow you. And he says, don't worry about it. You will, you will sit giving counsel to the 12 tribes of Israel. Remember the word to judge. We, I mentioned that yesterday. is isn't just about uh, innocent or guilty. It's, it's about the, uh, uh, the counsel and the leadership that, that the judges gave. So everyone who's given up houses or brothers or sisters, father, mother, children, or lands for the sake of my name, for the sake, not just my sake, but my name, in other words, for my authority, we'll receive a hundred times more. In other words, they submitted to the authority of the Lord. And, you know, in the gospel reading today, our Blessed Mother, in the readings for the feast, she calls herself the slave of the Lord. And so if you are willing to be the slave of the Lord, he may entrust you with great riches because you know to whom they belong and use them well and wisely. All right, we're going to take a break and we're going to go uh, next. We'll, well, we'll open the phones at 888 888- 914-9149-888-914-9149 and uh, we'll be back with letters. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. And now, please rise for our opening hymn in the Garden of Eden. Unusual hymn. Again, I'm not so convinced it's appropriate for the liturgy. I think I want to do some more liturgy talk sometime this week. Maybe with a little luck we will. But uh, uh, thank you, Reverend Lovejoy. You know, it's funny that on that show that I don't want to mention because, well, it's not always appropriate for younger or more intelligent, I mean more sensitive viewers, 
Um, <laughs> but uh, um, the Reverend Lovejoy is the the pastor of the what is it Methodist Lutheran the Mes Methodist Lutheran Church or whatever it is, and there actually was a Reverend Lovejoy who was a great abolitionist and was killed. All right, moving along. Uh, this is Dogs a letter and cats from Ferg- together. Dogs and cats. No, no, we're, we're not doing mass hysteria today. I'm thinking about another mass hysteria segment because oh. it's just so fun. About I just music. got excited. All right. Yeah, the, the voice when I just said, oh, I'm sorry, I just got excited. I understand that the serpent in the Garden of Eden was the devil, but why was it that the devil existed already when Adam and Eve did not fall yet at that time? Satan and his minions fell when they refused to serve Jesus, who was about to become human to save mankind from original sin. I am not sure what this question is about. Um, a voice in my head, you, you had some ideas about what the question might be about. Did yes, this is live. No, I I, oh. I I was thinking that the the person might have been asking uh, if the reason that the devil fell was because they rejected Jesus and Jesus hadn't come yet. How did the devil? How did the devil then reject Jesus? Well, then I will I will answer that question. <laughs> Thank you, dear voice in my head, and I'll answer the another question that I thought it brought up, but who knows. First of all, the the fallacy in this question it was when Adam and Eve did not fall yet at that time. You can't compare. Uh, this is kind of an idea I've stolen from C.S. Lewis in the Screw Tape Letters, as so many of my ideas that you can't compare uh, time in the spiritual world to time in this world. Time is the measure of change, and there is change in the spiritual world in certain dimensions of it. So there has to be time, but it doesn't coordinate with time in this world. In other words, the the angels, both the good angels and the bad angels, uh, live in what we would scientifically, fictionally call a different dimension. We, we Christians believe there are different dimensions of existence. I talk about the third heaven and the seventh heaven and all that, about which I do not understand very well. I'm only living in this earth, which is on the borderland between two worlds. But the devil uh, had his own, uh, the angels had their own moment of decision in their time span uh, that that I'd always heard that, uh, and of course it's not in scripture, it's just sort of a theological opinion that God presented uh, um his plan of, uh, of in the incarnation that Jesus would become one of these very limited terrestrial beings, uh, and the devil thought, well, if <laughs> if this is if he's going to incarnate his 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 heart, his logos, his his son in into this defective little bunch of vermin, then he's not God, and I I will I will apply for the job. Uh, that's the idea. So there was a, a separate moment of decision for the angels that happened in their time so that that's the way i would answer that question but the other question is is that i thought might be let me think what i thought that's such a good interpretation of the question but uh the satan and his minions fell when they refused to serve jesus who was about to become human to save i i think you've interpreted the question properly uh, but this idea of uh, already existed when Adam and Eve did not yet fall. So uh, God did not decide uh, 
to incarnate uh, uh, his son. Uh, well, how could he have done it? The Adam and Eve didn't fall yet. And, you know, he, he didn't have that in the plans. He most certainly had it in the plans. So I, I hope we've hit the answer to the question, Ferdy. And it's an interesting question philosophically. So uh, there you go. All right. Now, I had one here. Okay. If a teenager wanted to become Catholic, but the parents didn't, didn't want him to, what would you do? Is the church permitted to allow this teen to convert? You know, that's a tough question. Uh, first of all, how old is that teenager? Um, and, you know, converting to the kid, joining the, I don't like the word convert because you convert to Christ and you join the church. Uh, joining the, the Catholic Church and being catechized into the Catholic Church is, it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. And I, I think that you can certainly begin the process by going, finding the closest parish or a parish you're comfortable with, going to Mass regularly, getting to know the pastor, uh, that this, let's use the word conversion. Conversion is a gradual process. And uh, if you are in your late teens already, I, I think that that process wouldn't, wouldn't happen before you were 18. Um, you got to be kind of gentle with the folks, us old folks. We, we're, we're hard to bring along to things. So what you got to do is let them know gradually why you're doing this and what you're doing it for. Um, so I, I would, I would say, you know, in a case of emergency, um, I would most certainly say, no, that, that young person should be brought into the church, especially if they are not baptized. Baptism is very important. So, um, uh, the, the joining of the church, you can join the church in your, in your inner self and participate in the life of the church without a formal declaration of joining it until you reach your majority. So um, I would say, what does God want in this? God wants you certainly to honor your parents, even though they do not agree with you or don't see the truth of what you're doing. But on the other hand, you have to be true to your conscience. So it's a balance um, uh, that, that uh, we in the church have always talked about catechumens. In other words, catechumens were members of the church. And they were not yet baptized. They were studying and preparing. And there was a whole series of exorcisms that was done in the early church. It took a couple of years to join because they didn't want weak links to betray the community. And they wanted to make sure if you were going to commit your life to Christ, that it was a uh, uh, a real commitment and it was going to be permanent. So they didn't just say, oh, you want to be a member of the church? Come on, we'll baptize you. That happened as an exception of grace, I believe, in the earliest days of the church. But after that... There was this catechumen. But the interesting thing is that if a catechumen was was arrested by the authorities for being Christian and martyred, he was considered baptized, even though he had not undergone uh, the ritual of baptism. He was said to have been baptized by blood, and he they were they are regarded as saints. So uh, you'd hear stories of Roman soldiers who would step into the line to be killed after they saw the courage of Christians. Oh, that didn't happen. It just happened a few years ago in Egypt. There was some. Uh, Jihadist, as they were about to slaughter these all these Christians, these Coptic Christians, he knelt down and, and gave his life for Christ, though he'd only known Christ for a number of minutes. So, uh, you know, this this conversion process can take a while, and that's appropriate. And so I would urge you to be patient uh, with your parents and honor them. Uh, uh, but uh, 
if uh, there was any kind of emergency, uh, get to know your pa- the, the the Catholic pastor. Get to know your pastor well, and if there was any kind of emergency, that uh, that waiting period could be canceled. So I, I hope that helps a little. Um, you know, they say hunger is the best sauce, which means the longer you wait for it, the better it is gonna be. Let's see here. I got another one. Oh, I got, got one. Let me, wait, let me look at this. Oh, I better go fast. I'm looking at at the time here. This is from Dan, and he has a question. Why was, uh, when, when, in the olden days, when I was young and the woolly mammoth roamed, um, after communion, the priest, he kept his fingers together as long as he had been touching the, the sacred host out of respect. And then he would take the chalice and put his, his still joined forefinger and thumb over the chalice and the altar boy would pour a little wine over it, and then he would drink the wine. Then they would pour a drop of wine and a bunch of water over it. Why was that? Because it was thought that wine was more noble than water. And the symbol was we give the Lord the best first, and then we clean the dishes. Uh, so it was a matter of symbolism. And, and Dan is asking, why was the right change to eliminate the use of wine during the ab- ablutions uh, those are what they're called. Uh, rather, why were wine and water used to clean the sacred vessels, whereas now it's only water is used? Because we no longer think that about wine being more noble than water. Uh, our water is better <laughs> than it than was at wine, water at the time of Christ. So the symbolism had lost its uh, oomph. I suppose that's the way to put it. It's still a beautiful thing, and when people celebrate the traditional form of the Mass, they're, they still do it that way. But it 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 isn't it isn't as the sign of disrespect uh that it once was that you know they always mixed water in their wine it was really they put a little wine in the water uh because the water was awful you know you didn't know where the water was from and wine had a limited antibiotic uh, and disinfectant uh, power but it just made the water drinkable because the water is pretty bad so it was a matter of giving the lord the best and we no longer no no longer look at water and wine that way so i hope that answers the question and let us go to a break and we will come back with the word of the day oh and the phone number 888-914-9149 that's 888-914-9149 and the phones are wide open and again thank you for being so generous i didn't say thank you today thank you thank you of a wonderful hymn, but once again, not appropriate for liturgical use, shall we say. Oh, dear. What a world, what a world, what a world. Well, that said, let us go to uh, the word of the day. The word of the day is a Hebrew word, gabira, which means the Queen Mother. When we talk about the Blessed Mother, Queen of Heaven, she is not the consort of Jesus. She is the mother of Jesus both Lord and God. First of all, the term mother of God is a very important term. It just, it just floozles people who are not Catholic. That's a great word, floozle. It totally floozles them because, well, mothers are more important than children. Are you a mother? Do you know any, any mother says the children are more important? 
that that uh, the children are the, the rulers of the house, uh, but um, not uh, not in the way that uh, they'd like to be. But they, you know, life is about the children when you got kids. However, if you're doing it right, well, the the uh, the term "mother of God" was introduced, I believe, at the uh, the Council of Chalcedon to say that Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is God and man inseparably. She's not the mother of his humanity. That's Nestorianism, which separates the humanity of Jesus from his divinity, a very popular heresy today with the people who say, well, Jesus was weak and he made mistakes and he needed to learn things. Of course, he learned things, but he didn't need to learn moral truth. Jesus, our, the bless, our blessed mother, Adam and Eve, had their consciences undimmed. They didn't need to learn moral truth. You and I need to learn morality. The morality is buried inside of us, but we need to dig it out and to study morality and to learn to be moral. Jesus did not learn need to learn to be moral. He might have learned in his humanity how to make a table and chair, but he didn't need to learn how to love people and to respect people of all different origins. That said, our Blessed Mother was declared Mother of God to emphasize the idea that the humanity and the divinity of Jesus are inseparable. Humanity and divinity are in a marriage from which there can be no divorce in the person of Jesus. Well, let's move on to this Gabi Rastav. The queen was unimportant in the ancient world. Queens came and went. It was the mother of the queen that was important. Because you see, the queen, well, there might be five of them. The king had a harem. And if he got upset with queen number one, he said, you're out of here. Queen number two, come and sit up here, that kind of thing. The queen, there were lots of spouses and and uh, consorts of the king, but the king had only one mother, and she had great influence. We see this at Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. She, she co-ruled with him, as a matter of fact. So in the ancient world, who cared about the queen? It was the queen mother, the Gabira that mattered. And our blessed mother is the queen mother of of the church and of the world. So I thought you'd find that interesting. Let us now go to phone calls. Hello, Ghostbusters. Again, there are phones open at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Heidi, what can I do for you from Phoenix, Arizona? Hi, Father Simon. Uh, thank you so much for taking my call. I just wanted to call in reference. There was a young lady that called in yesterday, almost at the end of the yeah. show, and you mm-hmm. gave her some wonderful advice. She was trying to decide if she needed to become Catholic. And if she's listening, I just wanted to throw out there. Um, I was, I think, in her same position. I've been married now for 25 years. I just came into the Catholic Church this year. Oh. Um, and I wanted to throw out there, yeah, you know, everything I ever thought that was incorrect. It was a complete misunderstanding. I've gained everything. I could not be more grateful. You know, if you really let God lead you, he will. But the thing I wanted to throw out there is just simply that RCIA is starting now. And of course, you know, you can go through all of RCIA with no commitment at all. You can go, you can learn. They don't want you to, you know, come into the church if you don't feel ready, but that maybe that would be a great opportunity for her just to learn. And I would love to know what you think about that. 
Well, first of all, the uh, RCIA means right of Christian right of Christian initiation for adults. And, um, you know, in the Catholic Church, that must have taken you a couple of years just to learn all the abbreviations. Uh, we're always abbreviating things, CCD and RCIA and CDC and uh, USCCB. We got all these strange little letters. But that aside, uh, no, that, that's great. That's wonderful. Yes, the, the right of Christian initiation for adults is beginning in most parishes soon in September, if not already. Say that again, voice in my head. It's now OCIA, Order of Christians. OCIA, I don't know what it is. I think they've changed it. What have they changed it to? Order of Christian Initiation, I think. Order of Christian Initiation. OCIA. Well, it's RCIA. You say tomato, I say tomato. Let's call the whole thing. (laughs) Moving along, but thank you, Heidi. Yes, and uh, I think, you know, I think that that you took your time and, and... you wanted to know truth, and I think that's the real reason to be Catholic, not because, well, it would be nice for the family. It would be nice for the family, but but it's it's a matter of truth. So thank you so much for calling in, Heidi. God bless you. And uh, mazel tov on, 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 joining, on joining the church. Let's go to Cass from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Are you with us, Cass? What can I do for you? Yes, Father Simon, thank you for taking my call. I I want my sister passed away mm-hmm. last week. And yeah, um, I'm so sorry. Yes, thank you. And um I have often wondered when a member of our family had passed away and we did have a lot of them. And um are we judged I don't know if we really know the answer to this, are we judged when we first die or at the end of the world? Well, the answer to that question is, of course, yes. So I I know that that may sound a little odd, but we talk about the general judgment and the particular judgment. But you have to remember that for God, time is not meaningful. That that he is, I'm always saying God is, uh, God is in all places and in all moments. In other words, every moment for God is now. Every place is here. So the idea that we go, we sort of are. I, I, I like to think it was being telescoped to the end of time, and the the uh, that was the problem with the question about the devil falling in in the first question and first letter I answered. That it's a matter not so much of of the way we experience time as as the as the way god experiences time so there is a particular judgment and there is a general judgment and i suspect that we perceive them as being simultaneous but i don't know i've never been there so i don't know if that helps a little it's sort of a both and does that help a little yes and also i my my son passed away at 42 oh. years old, quite oh, so suddenly. Sad. And uh, yeah. I had a dream about him, and I said to him, how did you get here so fast? And he said, Mom, time is different here. And what you're uh. saying is basically what he was trying oh, to yes. tell me. Yeah, so it you already time. know. <laughs> yeah. That's lovely. Uh-huh. Yeah, that he is said, truly time lovely. is here. And I really believe that with all my heart. I think it is, yeah. you know. 
it is. I think so. Oh, that's a lovely story. Thank you so much for that. That that enriches my day. So, well, God bless and thanks so much for calling in and for listening. Let's go now to Maria from Phoenix, Arizona. Are you hi, with us? Father Simon. Yes. Yeah. Hi, Father Simon. Hi. I have a question. Um, what exactly becomes the blood of Christ at the moment of consecration? I'm asking this because um, we had a visitor priest uh, last month in our church, and he mm-hmm. would pour, you know, the wine uh, on the chalice, and then the rest. He left it on the little container, but on the altar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That did everything became the blood of Christ at the moment no, of no. consecration, or just no. was on the chalice? No. You see, when we are ordained on the day of our ordination, we make two intentions, and this might be interesting. We make the intention to offer the mass for the the primary intention of the mass for the intention of the donor if there is a donor. So sometimes some priest is, gets up early and didn't bring his glasses, which often happens to me, and he gets the wrong intention. Don't worry that the intention of the donor was the intention that was prayed for. That's a promise we make on our ordination day. And the second promise is to consecrate all that is on the Corporal. The word corporal means that which that which has to do with the body. A corpus is a body in Latin. The corporal is something that attends to the body. And that cloth that the there's on the you got all the altar cloths, but there's a smaller square. He's usually square, a smaller square cloth called the corporal. And we make the intention to consecrate what is on the corporal. In order to consecrate something, one must say the words that have we received uh, from Christ. One must intend what the church intends so if i say mass and say i don't want to i don't want to make i don't want to change this into the body and blood of christ i I, i'm mad at the church i'm not going to do it and we still say the words it hasn't become the body and blood of christ we have to intend what the church intends and we have to intend to consecrate a specific thing so that priest is not intending to consecrate the wine that's in the chalice or the the wine that's in the in the cruet but only the wine that's in the chalice and so his intention is 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 what makes it uh, is part of what makes it valid or not. You have to say the words we receive from Christ. Intend what the the church intends to do, and intend and intend to consecrate uh, what is on the corporal and in the chalice. Does that help? Oh yeah! Thank you so much. I was so Good. worried. <laughs> yeah. Thank no, you so no, no. much. Well, it's good you're worried. I mean, a lot of people say whatever. <laughs> You know, I've seen people yeah. who, who I, I, in the early days, before people understood it, uh, I heard of, of communion ministers who would um, take the, the, you know, if they had extra consecrated uh, uh, species in, in, in the chalice, they would go back and they just pour it back into the wine bottle. It was off, or they pour it down the sagrarium, the, the special sink. You never do that. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's we're talking about Eucharistic revival. We, we need to examine these things and have the proper reverence for the body and blood by which we were saved. So thanks for calling in, Marie, and asking that question. It was a good one. God bless you. Let's go now to Mary in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Mary, what can I do for you? Yes, hi. I just wanted to know, um, if people live very saintly lives and suffer and offer their suffering and bring other people to Christ and die young, um, would they be awarded a crown in heaven? Well, I think so. Um, um, 
Uh, St. Paul talks about that, isn't he? You can hear me clicking away to get the exact scripture verse. Second Timothy 4, verse 8. Now there is in store mm-hmm. for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So yes, mm-hmm. it says in Second Timothy, the fourth chapter, the eighth verse, that everybody who longs for the Lord, and in other words, not just wishful thinking, but really lives for Christ and, and lives seeking his kingdom, they all, we all receive those royal crowns. Does that help? Mm. Yes, thank you. Hey, I'm an answer in the Bible, the big book on the coffee table. There you go. I think we have time actually for a few more phone calls. So 888-914-9149. Let's go to Terry from St. Petersburg, Florida. Terry, what can I do for you? Hey, hey Father, love your show. Yes. I just had a quick question. In the Transfiguration, when Jesus goes to Mount Tabor and he meets with Moses and Elijah, why those two particular people rather than people like, say, Abraham and David? Because Moses and Elijah represent two things. They represent, well, actually three things, I suppose. The law and the prophets are the first category. Moses is the lawgiver, and Elijah is the prophet par excellence. And Jesus said, the law and the prophets bear witness to me. Now, the Sadducees only regarded the law as being authoritative. The Pharisees regarded the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, as authoritative. But they also uh, 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 venerated the prophets, and Elijah was the prophet par excellence, and Moses was the lawgiver and teacher. So that's the first reason. But the second reason is a little more obscure, the, that Moses and Elijah both represent the resurrection. Moses and Elijah, uh, Elijah was caught up in a fiery chariot. Remember the story the, that uh, uh, that Eli- Elisha wanted uh a double portion of his spirit, I think it was, and said, well, if you see me taken away from you, then you'll you'll get that uh, 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 gift. And a, a chariot from heaven swooped down and took him up to heaven. That's uh, in, oh, which book? Of, that's in, I think, is it in First Kings? Uh, but then Moses, though he was not taken to heaven, his grave was hidden. The angels, according to the letter of Jude, were the ones who buried the body of Moses. They hid the body of Moses lest he be worshipped. But because there was no tomb of Moses, he was considered in a certain sense uh, a, a precursor or a, 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 a foreshadowing of resurrection. So Moses and Elijah, they represented the law and the prophets, and they represented the resurrection. Does that help? It certainly does. Thanks, Father. Always enjoy your show. God bless, Jerry. Oh, I have fun. God bless. Let's go to Therese, who's calling in from Mississippi. Is there no Minneapolis? Got to get my glasses on. Minneapolis. Are we? Are you with us, Therese? I, I am. It is it, as hot as Mississippi here today. So you. Oh you've got gosh, that right. baking hot where um, I am too. It is. It is. Mm. But you know, I just was thinking today about, um, and I know you've talked about dying to oneself before, mm-hmm. and yeah. wondering if you had a few minutes, if you could expand upon that. Sure. And then a question related to that is, being Jesus, um, fully God, fully man, was he not subject to that in the sense that it's part of our fallen nature? 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we need to work on it, but in a sense, Jesus, I'm guessing, did not have to. Well, let me let me take care of that one first, because it's my own harebrained theory, which you should take with a grain of salt. Our Lord and his Blessed Mother were both immaculately conceived. They were conceived without the effects of original sin. One of the effects of original sin is, I have to suffer. They didn't have to suffer. They chose to suffer for the sake of love. You follow the difference? I don't get a choice about it. I can offer up my sufferings and use them for love, but the suffering in my life and in your life is not optional. God gives it to us to change us into the image of Christ, but our Blessed Mother and our Lord Jesus didn't need that, but they chose it for love of us. So I think that's part of the dimension of the, of the, uh, of the Immaculate Conception, uh, of this sinless nature. It, it wasn't easy. It was a great responsibility. And the, uh, the uh, dying to oneself, I remember hearing a story of a rabbi. He said, Rabbi, what is the most important thing in life? And he looked and he said, what I happen to be doing at the moment. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that uh, our life is, you know, we have these great ideas of what our life is about, but really life is about what we're doing at the moment. And, uh, you know, I can tell you what your life is about by looking at your credit card statement in your checkbook. And you can do that by looking at mine. I have this elevated idea of my saintliness, but then I look at where I spend my money and my time and not so good. But if I allow God to take my attention off the things that I want, in that sense, what I want is me. So I'm dying to myself by allowing the Lord to turn me to his perfect plan and what he desires. And that is much easier said than done, at least in my life it is. Does that help a little? Yes, yes. It, it says, in the sense, when dying to ourselves is a process of um, learning, like you said, to keep our eyes on Jesus and not yeah. on myself. Yeah. Exactly, and, and on what he wants, and to realize his life in what? me is real life. And what I want, meh. You know, I want some pretty stupid things. So hope that helps, Therese. Thanks for calling in. I think we have time to quickly go to Miles. Miles, who's calling in from Wisconsin. What can I do for you? You can tell me about the connection between liturgy and remembering and keeping the faith, noticing in the end of the book of Joshua, beginning of Judges. There is no mention of any liturgy. Um, the, the things that were commanded by Moses and Right now in the Eucharist, do this in memory of me, keeping the faith. Um, that's maybe why they lost the faith. In oh, the no, no they, they, there were always those who kept it. And what, what Moses said in the law was, in the law, Moses gave them rules for the liturgy. And so Joshua was saying, let us keep to what we learned from Moses. He was saying, let's keep to the liturgy. But speaking of keeping to the liturgy, Drew is coming up. And he does. All right. We'll talk to you tomorrow, God willing.